Rogers Arena, Kalinka, Knox Games. It is Brendan Bachelor, Bachelor, Bachelor. 803 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. Brandon Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Canucks, is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour three of this program is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Tonight, it is the Canucks. It is the Predators. You can hear it right here on Sportsnet 650. Beginning at 6.15 our time. (laughs) 6.15. Ah, the old 6.15 puck drop. Love it. Joining us now, the man who will be on the call, Brendan Batchelor here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Batch. How are you? Good morning. And yeah, more precisely, it will be at... Uh, 623 because the NHL never drops the puck at the time they say they're going to. So tune in at 615. Randeep and I will be on the air, but the puck doesn't actually drop for eight more minutes after that. So if you had to pick one thing to watch for tonight, what would it be from a Canucks perspective? You just want to see them build on some of these good performances that they've had through the road trip and not, you know, end up you know, having a, a stinker or a, a game like they did in Philadelphia. Um, you know, I, I've liked some of the things I've seen, certainly in the game in Florida, you know, to maybe a lesser extent, the game in Tampa. But they they need to, you know, against a Predators team that I heard you guys talking earlier, takes a lot of shots. They need to try and limit that because they've averaged, you know, more than 36 shots against per game. They're, you know, I think bottom four in the league in terms of the number of shots they give up. And the Predators not only take a lot of shots, but they generate a lot of scoring chances. They're first in the league in scoring chances generated to this point in the season. So the Canucks need to be tight to their structure defensively if they want to have success tonight. Batch, what is the reason in your mind that the Canucks are having trouble dictating play at five on five? We'll give you a couple of options. Are they unable to keep plays going in the offensive zone? Are there too many one and done forays into the offensive zone? Or is the problem more in the defensive zone? Because I noticed the other day that Rick Tockett was talking about you know, the need to squash plays in the corner. And that often is a translation for we got to break up the cycle and get the puck going the other way. Yeah, I mean, the the actual answer is a little bit of both. Um, But I agree that I think, you know, particularly on the walls, they at times have a tough time getting the puck out when they really need to relieve pressure and get a change. And, you know, already through the the first handful of games here, I can think of a number of of sequences where, you know, we're we're calling the game and we're looking at the, the player tracking and puck tracking data. And it's like, oh, you know, four of the five guys have been out there for 90 seconds already. And they're clearly tired in their own zone. And the other team is continuing to work the puck around. And, you know, you know, occasionally they get a line change and the Canucks tired players are still out there. And that's something think we've seen from the Canucks you know over the last few years where you know the 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 board battles especially the ability to clear the defensive zone has at times been a real Achilles heel for them and has led to you know sustained stretches of pressure against which 
you know, will either end up with the puck in the back of your net or will end up with you taking a penalty, the other team going to the power play, and then based on how bad the penalty kill's been over the last couple of seasons, the puck ending up in the back of your net anyway. So uh, that's one of the many things that's on Rick Tockett's to-do list, I'm sure, in terms of, you know, being able to effectively break up the cycle, but then not only being able to do that, but then being able to clear the puck effectively or transition out of your own zone so that you're not just turning it over at your own blue line and, and getting caught in your own zone for extended stretches. So that's certainly something that this team has struggled with in the past. We've seen some instances where they've struggled with it to start this season, and um, the sooner they can limit those sort of sequences, the better they'll be served for it. Uh, I don't want to pick on the defenseman, but when it comes to breaking up the cycle and getting the puck going the other way, um, yes, the forwards have their responsibilities, especially the centers, but a lot of this is on the defenseman. You know, I thought one of the, you know, this is kind of a detour, but one of the things that was very underrated about Alex Edler when he was in his prime is if the puck went into the corner, he was getting it because he was big, he was physical, and he was smart. He had a good technique for winning puck battles. Do the Canucks have enough defensemen that can do that? No. I mean, it's 100% a personnel issue at this point. When, you know, for the second half of the game the other night after they moved Myers down, you're essentially playing Mark Friedman, who you only just acquired last week and has, what, 66, 67 career NHL games to his name in your top four. So that, that to me, you know, in particular highlights that you're still one top four defenseman short. And so when you have to trust either Myers or Friedman mm. and, you know, we'll see if they, you know, move Ian Cole to the right side at some point to, to try and address that. But then you're trusting Carson Soucy in a top four role if you do that in all likelihood uh, as he would elevate up on that left side. I'm not convinced by any of those potential solutions. So I would imagine it's part of the reason why the Canucks would really like to move on from Connor Garland is because you create some cap flexibility and maybe you can add another defenseman that uh, at least papers over that crack. But as long as you're a team that is playing with three top four defensemen, you're going to be in tough. And Sometimes you get mismatched out there and there are going to be situations where you get hemmed in or you've got guys in a bad spot that, you know, we talk so much about guys being put into a position to succeed, particularly that second pairing spot on the right side. It feels like whoever's playing there is playing, you know, above their head and is is sort of destined to fail to a certain extent because none of the guys they have are properly suited to that role in that amount of ice time. So this is why Rick Tockett talked about defense by committee, and it's probably why we'll see some of these issues linger going forward is because they just don't have the personnel to be a better defensive team than they are at this point. They can be a better defensive team than they were last year, certainly, but I don't know how high that ceiling is until they address that spot in particular. Yeah, and I just don't know what the solution is, right? There isn't an easy solution. Sometimes you've just got a problem and you've got to wait a while to fix it. But Tyler Myers only played two shifts in the third period against the Florida Panthers. And I think that says a lot for as much as the coaching staff is going to stick up for its players. And it hasn't gotten to the point where Tyler Myers has been a healthy scratch yet. There's clearly trust issues now that are being developed between the coach and the player. 
Absolutely, and and that's where we saw that move made was on the the first Florida goal where he kind of gets caught out of position, and you know there probably should have been another forward back on that sequence as well, but he gets caught chasing wide on the boards, and it creates a lane right down the middle for Barkov to skate in on goal and tie the game. After that, he was moved to the third pairing, and it's clear that with some of the decisions he's made lately, um, that that the coaching staff is losing trust in him. You know, over the past couple of years, in each of the last two seasons, he's been Vancouver's penalty kill minute leader. And last I checked, he was fifth this season. And I bet you that number has even dropped since the last game. So um, it's clear that there is a lack of trust there from the coaching staff. The fact that he was demoted to the third pairing and a guy like Mark Friedman, who is basically a Band-Aid, was played in the top four for, you know, the second half of that game the other night in Florida. And to be perfectly honest, it went better than it did when Myers was playing in the top four. Uh, I think that says a lot about where his game is at right now. And in terms of, um, you know, trying to, to figure out a solution to that issue, the reality might be that the only way you can do it is when you get out of this season, you get out from underneath Tyler Myers' cap hit, you have some flexibility, and maybe you can go out and find another guy that will be better suited in that role than either Myers or Friedman or Juleson are on that right side right now. And I, I don't want it to sound like I'm picking on Tyler Myers you know, individually because he hasn't been very good. But again, getting back to what I was talking about earlier, he's being played in a role where he's being set up for failure. He's mm-hmm. not a top four defenseman in the NHL anymore. And the fact that they have to play him there is more a reflection of the lack of depth or lack of quality that they have in their defensive group than a reflection of his play when being put in that role where you couldn't reasonably expect him to have success. So having said all that, do you see it as tenable that the Canucks continue to pair Quinn Hughes and Philip Peronik together? I don't, but I could see it continuing if you were willing to move Ian Cole to the right side on mm-hmm. the second pairing. And then you can elevate Carson Soucy. And again, I don't think that's a great solution either. I'm not convinced that Soucy is a top four defenseman in the NHL at this point, but I'd like to see them at least try that, Ian Cole, on the right side, just because it's something that they haven't really explored at all to this point, and it's clear that you know the, the, the options they have on that right side right now aren't working. As I said, they don't have a second-pairing right-shot defenseman. Ian Cole has played the right side in his career before. He's played it on championship-caliber teams. Why wouldn't you take a look at it? And then, you know, building on that, I think it would make more sense, from my perspective anyway, if you're moving Ian Cole to the right side that you should put in with Quinn Hughes and then move Heronic down and you're kind of spreading that out a little bit and you can go Susie Heronic, which we saw at times during the preseason and you can go Hughes Cole and that to me at least feels like a more safe mm-hmm. top four grouping but um you know, that there is an argument that says, why should you play it safe? You know, put your horses together, let them play half the game and hope that, you know, the the benefit you get from having those two guys play together outweighs how much having the other four guys on the ice the rest of the time hurts you. But uh, I, I'm sure these are things that we will see from this coaching staff as the season goes forward, especially if the defensive issues and the stuff that has plagued them in their own zone to this point in the season continues. Um, but for the moment, they, they seem determined to keep Ian Cole on that left side. I just wonder how long that's going to last. Let's talk about one of the big positive developments from that Florida game, and that was the return of Ilya Mikheyev. 
How much does he bring to that top line with Pedersen and Kuzmenko? Yeah, he brings a lot. Um, you know, that is a line, and both of you know Pedersen and Kuzmenko are great skilled offensive players but the one thing they were lacking is someone with speed someone that can get in on the four check that can hassle the opposition defense and create opportunities or create turnovers or make it more difficult on the other team so that they can sustain some offensive zone time and Mikheyev brings that and I think you saw in the game against the Panthers how much more dangerous that line looked just from having Mikheyev on it you know he had that great chance off the rush that he wasn't quite able to tip home. I think it was OEL got back and kind of broke the play up partially. But, uh, you know, as Mikheyev gets used to being back in games and gets more comfortable with his uh, recovering knee, that is something to watch for me, that that line could really explode offensively. And, you know, Pedersen's already had a tremendous offensive start to the season. I think Kuzmenko uh, was a little bit quiet early on, but you heard him talk after the game the other night about how much it means to him to have Mikheyev back on that line. Uh, and, you know, I was thinking about this. We were talking about it on the pregame show the other night. You look at the Miller line, and I think we could probably all agree that's been Vancouver's most consistent line to this point in the season, at the very least, if not their best line in terms of how effective they've been and and the way they've controlled play. And it's the only line on the Canucks that has a couple of guys that are really effective at getting in on the forecheck, hassling defenders, creating turnovers. They're even even the Pedersen line with Mikheyev on it, Mikheyev kind of has to be that guy. You're not expecting mm-hmm. that from Pedersen or Kuzmenko. And then you look into the bottom six, Dakota Joshua can be that guy, but it's not necessarily consistent. You're not you know, that that's not a hallmark of Beauvilliers' game, I wouldn't say. Garland, you know, to a certain extent can do it, but obviously he's a smaller forward, so less effective at that at times. And that, to me, you know, there's a direct correlation there between a couple of guys that can be physical in Miller and DiGiuseppe that get in on the 4-4 check, that make it hard on the other team's defense, create turnovers, and then have the skill to not just create those turnovers, but to set up plays. And that's part of the reason why Brock Besser has been scoring as much as he has to start the year is because of how effective that line is. It's the only line on the team that has two guys that can do it on the same line. And so getting Mikheyev back onto that Pedersen line, while you know there aren't two of them, I think he can help in that regard and create more opportunities for Pedersen and Kuzmenko. Is there a place for Nils Hoglander on this team? I don't know. I, I really don't. And, you know, we'll, we'll see if he comes back into the lineup tonight. But if they continue with that... Uh, that that skilled line, undersized skill line that they had as their quote-unquote fourth line the other night with Beauvillier and Garland on the wings, maybe that's a spot that he could find a home because, you know, if you look at the way they constructed their lines, um, you know, they have the line with with Joshua on it, and that feels like more of a, a matchup line, and I would imagine that's where Teddy Bluger goes when he gets back in the lineup, and that's a lineup or a line that, that makes it hard on the opponents, and they're kind of more of a checking line, and you're not expecting that much offense from them. Then, obviously, you have your top two skilled lines, and that other line kind of feels like, you know, a line of, of misfit toys to a certain extent, but with players like Beauvillier, like Garland, potentially like Hoaglander on that line, those are all guys who have the ability to produce Mm -hmm. points. 
and have offensive upside in their game. So what I would like to see from that line is, assuming that Suter ends up there if Bluger goes on the other line uh, when he gets back in the lineup, especially when you're at home, that to me is a line that you can get out there in favorable matchups because you you probably trust the other three lines more to play against the, the top players on other teams. So if you can get some of those guys out there in favorable spots against the third defensive pairing of the other team or the third or fourth line, then that could be an opportunity for them to generate some offense and have some bottom six scoring. And so to me, I look at that and I say, maybe that's a home for Hoaglander, but the only way I think he finds a home there consistently is if they're able to trade Garland, because then there's an obvious spot that opens up in the lineup and Hoaglander probably gets in there more consistently. But at the same time, you know, I, I haven't talked to Rick talking about this, so I don't know, but I would be willing to guess that based on the way Hoaglander has played to start this season, based on how high he's been on Niels Oman and his play through training camp and last year, you know, if you caught Rick talking in an honest moment, I'm sure he would probably tell you that he would rather have Niels Oman on his roster right now than yeah. Niels Hoaglander. And the reason Hoaglander's still there is because of the, uh, you know, the waiver situation and the fact that he would have to go on waivers to be sent down or, or potentially be traded. So if your head coach doesn't even think that he's one of the best 13 forwards you have, then I don't see a long-term fit for Hoaglander with this group. Now, if he can get into the lineup, if he can play with some more consistency, if he can do some of the things that talking to the coaching staff want him to do and also produce a bottom line of offense, then that is kind of what he needs to do to be able to stick with this group. But it's something now that uh, we've seen decrease head coaches in terms of um, you know his role, although Travis Green, I think, still played him a fair bit in in the the late days of his time as a Canucks head coach, but um, Boudreaux didn't trust him, moved him down the lineup, moved him into the press box. We've already seen Tockett move him down the lineup and move him into the press box, and that to me is not just um, you know something that that you can just discount and say, oh, those guys all don't like Hoaglander, they don't appreciate him. NHL head coaches know what they're working with, and the fact that it's at least two head coaches now that haven't seen Hoaglander having a good, consistent fit in their lineup to me is concerning for his long-term future with the team. Uh, Batch, real quick, um, I hate to put you on the spot here, but what is the latest on Teddy Bluger? It's easy to to like completely forgotten about that guy. Yeah, the only thing I know is that he wasn't expected to play on the trip. I, I haven't heard anything more recently in terms of how soon he might be expected back, whether he could get into the games on Friday and Saturday when they're back home at, at Rogers Arena. So I'm sure that's something that uh, Rick Tockett will address at some point here over the next few days, either uh, today leading up to the game or uh, when they get back to Vancouver in, in the next couple of days here. But uh, for something that initially looked like a, a shot block and then Tockett alluded to it as a, a bruise. Uh, it's clearly much more than that, and uh, hopefully it's not something that keeps him out of the lineup too, too long because I think he would really help them in the bottom six. Batch, this was great, man. Thanks for doing it. Uh, have a good call tonight. Enjoy the game. We'll do this again next week. Yep, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thank you. That's Brendan Batchelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks, right here on Sportsnet 650. So there's a, there's a texter texting in about the bottom six. Okay. And he asked, was this the bottom six at practice on Saturday? Joshua, Suter, Garland, Hoaglander, Lafferty, Beauvillier. And I said, yeah. That's and he six. replied, that's a nice looking bottom six, isn't it? And in theory, 
you know, you know what he's talking about, right? Like you've got Garland and Beauvillier who have done things in this league and they're a bottom six role. Um, maybe getting out there against some softer matchups. You got Puce Suter, who's a pretty smart player. Dakota Joshua who brings some size and strength. Lafferty that brings some speed. And then if it's Hoaglander or maybe Nils Amon, if he gets a chance, you know, maybe you've got some youthful energy in there too. I get what the texture's saying. Mm-hmm. Like there is something there, but I just don't know how it's all come together. And I also don't know if Rick Tockett is quite ready to say that everyone is on board with how he wants to play. And if everyone's not on board with how he wants to play, that means that people have different ideas about how to play, right? And the, mm-hmm. and to, to have all four lines rolling, yes, it's a, bi- a big thing as personnel, right? Like you need the right players, but you also have to have that identity, especially in the bottom six. And for me, I'm looking at, you know, you got Garland and Beauvillier and Dakota Joshua. To me, it's like, it's just like a mishmash of players there. And that's I, how I'd put it. Yeah, just, and, and sometimes that's good, right? Like sometimes you want a different style of player. Like you want one big guy to win the battles, a, a skill guy, and, you know, maybe a, a good defensive guy. But it's all just about, like, it's about chemistry, but it's also about the identity of the Canucks. And I think that's where, if you were to ask Rick Toggin, he'd tell you, he's like, they're still not there. They're still not playing exactly like he wants them to play. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with fit. Is Sometimes things work for no particular reason. Sometimes you just stumble upon things like Phil DiGiuseppe as a top six second line winger that really adds something of value to that line. Mm-hmm. And it just works. Chemistry is very tough to predict. I think what you're still seeing, because it is early days, is a lot of moving parts. Like You don't necessarily want Garland as a bottom six forward, but you're kind of stuck with it. Yeah, it, dep- you- it depends on what you want that third line to look like. You know, in Pittsburgh, you wouldn't say, well, Phil Kessel bottom six forward. But that third line that he was on uh, with um, Hagland, who brought speed, and Benino, mm-hmm. who was a good puck distributor and pretty smart center, although not particularly fleet of foot, like that's a mishmash of players a bit right of it, there. But for, for whatever reason, it worked. Well, there's a bit of chicken, egg, and egg with this whole thing, right? It's like, do you set about what you want your bottom six to look like and then tell the guys to play it? Or do you allow them to dictate what it's going to be? Like, the, mm-hmm. I don't think, I think Tocket has an idea of what he wants guys to do. I also think it's a lot of different things. Like, do you want your bottom six to be hard on pucks? Yes. Would you like them to chip in with offense from time to time? Yes. <laughs> also, yes. Would you like them to be hard four checkers? Yes. Would you like them to have speed? Absolutely. You want all those things. Yeah. The key is to find it. And I'll say this. I wouldn't get too enamored <laughs> with any combo in that bottom six. Cause once Bluger comes back in, <laughs> I don't think anyone's too enamored, enamored with anything like, well, no, cause some, well, we just had a texter that was enamored with it. He even dropped an F bomb. Well, so he just kind of he nice said, looking he, bottom six, right? I wouldn't get enamored with anything because mm-hmm. I think once Bluger comes back in, it's going to look different. Once again, who comes out, I, you know, I, Hoaglander. I yeah, Hoaglander, right? yeah. Hoaglander and Studnicker at the, and hopefully, Gar- and hopefully Garland in a trade. They're the runts of the right? litter, right? They're the ones fighting at the top. Yeah, I guess if right? when Garland gets traded. The other thing, too, point. right, like, they have to break up those cycles better in the defensive zone. They can't let the other teams just keep passing it around and getting second opportunities and keeping the pressure on the players. And a lot of that, we're not picking on Tyler Myers, but this is just the reality. 
if your defenseman cannot break up the cycle and get the puck going the other way, it doesn't really matter what your bottom six is going to do in the offensive zone because uh, they'll never be there. Um, we got a lot more to get to on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. The final half hour of this program is reserved for what we learns and a giveaway for a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Blues play at Rogers Arena on Friday. We're giving away two tickets to one what we learned submission. Hashtag it WWL. Tell us what did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Put a ticket emoji into your text to be entered into the grand prize contest for a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Blues on Friday night. You are listening to the Alfred and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Big Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. 8.33 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. It is what we learn time. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. Uh, we have a lot to get into here. We need to do our what we learns. We need to do humanoid what we learns. We need to give away a pair of tickets to Friday's game between the Canucks and Blues from Rogers Arena. We will begin with all, all four of us have what we learns today. We're going to start in the non-sports division with A-Dog bringing us news from the celebrity world, but also yeah. with a 90s twist. Oh, big news for us 90s kid, uh, kids. A Francis Bean Cobain, daughter, of course, legendary rock star Kurt Cobain of Nirvana fame and uh, uh, daughter of Courtney Love. And Riley Hawk, son of Tony Hawk, uh, got married in a ceremony officiated by, by R.E.M.'s Michael Stipe, who is uh, <laughs> Kurt Cobain's daughter's Courtney Love's godfather. You following me? Yes. Yep. So, uh, Kurt Cobain's kid and Tony Hawk's kid got married in a wedding uh, by the lead singer of REM. Oh, married at a wedding? By the lead singer of REM. <laughs> so the amazing. most 90s thing I could possibly think of all crammed into one sentence there. Mm. All that was missing was Alicia Silverstone and that would have completed the 90s. <laughs> she was the flower girl. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Uh, that is amazing. It's an old flower girl. Yeah, look look yeah. miserable. <laughs> flower maiden at this point, but point taken. Um, yeah. I had no idea that this was a thing, and I feel I didn't like either. this should have been as a '90s enthusiast who mm-hmm. is still clinging on to that decade. Yeah, for relevance, still, rock, you, still rocking the flannel. How, yeah. how do you see the '90s? Like, how, well, that was my okay. Let, let, me, let me just continue. Let me rephrase. Like, what kind of an era was it? Because for me, great music, great TV, great movies, great cartoons. The '80s for me was like a fun decade. Oh, we know, right? <laughs> the '90s for me, the '90s for me was more not like. Personally speaking, but it was more like it was dark. It was like grunge music and everyone was depressed and wearing flannel, right? Yep. But I feel like other people, 
especially people that are maybe a little bit younger than me, see the 90s as more fun oh, than so I so vibrant. Saw. I don't know where you get that from. Yeah. I think of colors. because we of were like, kids and you were yeah. coming into adulthood, so naturally yeah. you'd... I think of the, just the logos of yeah. like sports teams from the 90s. Mm-hmm. They were so like vibrant and out there. A lot of neon, a lot of teal. It's, there was it's, a lot of teal It's all about yeah. when you're at your most impressionable. So when you're... I think they say like you're at your most impressionable from the age of like four to like nine or ten. Or I can't yeah. remember what the exact ages are. So that wheelhouse is whatever decade you're in, that's what you'll remember with the most reverence and like, oh, this is amazing. I'm so guilty of nostalgia too. Oh, like, everyone I look is. back everyone on is. 80s hockey, I'm like, that's when they cared. For sure. And like it was, it was great hockey. And then, you know, if you went back in, in a time machine and you watched like, and tonight it's the Minnesota North Stars versus the Buffalo Sabres. And you're like, there's 8,000 people here and this game sucks. Yeah. Right? Take the nostalgia goggles off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. All right. Give us a mook out on that. Laddie, tough act to follow, but you're going to try. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to beat that one, but it's uh, I'm going to go on the depressive side of things. I'm still a Blue Jays fan, and a lot, mm. of, a lot of baseball success happening right now, which makes me angry. And former Blue Jays getting it done, like Moreno, who is injured now, but uh, Lourdes Gurriel had that homer for the D-backs uh-huh. the other day. But I want to tell Blue Jays fans, <laughs> it could always be worse, because there's a picture floating around the internet right now of Randy Arozarena and Adoles Garcia trotting off the field at spring training in their... St. Louis Cardinals <laughs> uniforms. Yes, the 2020 ALCS MVP and the 2023 ALCS MVP were both outfielders for the Cardinals that they let go essentially for nothing. I yeah. loved watching Garcia last night. He's like, I'm going to hit another one. Yeah, and man. another one. It was How about that? 15 RBI in the championship <laughs> series. Mm-hmm. Like he, and he just, I think it was something in the neighborhood of three home runs in his last eight plate appearances in the series. I wasn't even joking earlier. Like if you're Dusty Baker, do you just pitch around the guy? Like why are you continually throwing to him? I know in the the last jack was somewhat meaningless, but also a nice punctuation mark. I think it went from it made it 10-3 to 11-3. Right. <laughs> and he just hits moonshots. But he was in their heads big time because mm-hmm. when that whole fiasco happened on Saturday night where they threw at him and everything, you could tell that they were becoming the Astros were becoming a bit unhinged because he was that dominant a presence in the series. That was one of the more bizarre series I've ever watched. I, I, a home team did not win a single game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you don't often see the There's retaliatory no pitches. Yeah, you know, Dusty Baker flipping out all of it. It was a bizarre series. By the way, good on Bruce Bochy. We'll talk about him later and what we learned. Mook how that. Back to my point. Yeah, the Cardinals fans, you got to be really upset because they essentially got nothing. At least the Jays got Varsho and, yeah. and something to sure, show. Okay, for make players. yourself feel better as a Jays. That's fan. hey, That's I'm going to take it. If <laughs> if there's a team that's doing worse, then you can. You can ride that. Okay, uh, I have a what we learned, but I'm going to need Halford's help on this because it's soccer-related. Backbone of the show. Uh, But don't worry, it's Canadian soccer-related. There are lots of reports that Real Madrid, one of the premier clubs in the world, Mm -hmm. is looking to bid for Alfonso Davies, who's currently at Bayern Munich, one of the premier clubs in the world. I was going to say, we're talking about the Galacticos of... Clever little illusion there, but uh, these are two of the biggest clubs in the world, and... The transfer fee is what is the really interesting part in this right now because I think Real thinks that it can get a little bit of a steal of a deal on Fonzie because he's going into the last year of his contract. Right. And so what would happen at in the last year of his contract? Like what 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 are what are the soccer rules? I'm putting you on the spot and I realize you might know. know. There's like, a transfer fee and there's a contract. The player gets a percentage of the transfer fee. There's also the individual contract and the wages he gets paid. But if his contract club. expires. Yeah. 
Can he, he is out go of anywhere? He is out of contract. He's a free agent. So you don't buy, you don't bring on the contract from another club. You start fresh, essentially, okay. right? And, he, and then he would get to choose. The idea with most clubs where the player leaves is we never want a player to leave on a free. We want something in exchange for this player. Right. We want to sell this player, which mm-hmm. is why you're getting into this situation that Bayern is none too pleased with Davies' representatives. Is he happy there? Is, is Davies happy at Bayern? Here's the thing. He's been there for a while. He has accomplished a lot. Mm-hmm. The um, the golden boy era has kind of moved on because it's an inevitability. Like when he broke onto the scene, there was a newness and a freshness, and he was Canadian and he was so fast. Yeah, but <laughs> so so fast. But he's not going to become the best player in the world because he's not the best player in the world. There's going to be flaws in his game, and mm-hmm. he's kind of been accused of not being the greatest defender, right. despite playing left back and. In the modern game now, guys move. Mm-hmm. Guys want to change leagues and change locales. Would you like to see him play in England? I'd love to see him play with Real right now, to be honest. Real, yeah. Yeah, well, in large part because he'd be playing alongside Jude Bellingham, and I think that they would be That'd be incredible. so unbelievably fun to watch. And I would love to see him play in England, though, as well. But I yeah. think... I think his game would be suited. I mean, Real's got this long history of outstanding outside backs, right? With Marcelo and mm. going all the way back to Roberto Carlos. And I think it would be cool to see Alfonso take the mantle. Right. And they seem very keen on getting him. Mm-hmm. He seems like he, they, that's an intended target. Do you think there? Do you think there are clubs out there that see? Um, I mean, obviously he's a great player right now. Do they? Do you think they see more? Do you think they see like if we can get a guy like that? With his natural abilities, he's already good. We can make him even better. I, I think on the defensive side of things, yeah, yeah. see a guy that could probably um, rely less on his pace, and because that's a big thing is he he's got all these great defensive clips where he's backtracking. Right. Like, what if you didn't need to backtrack all the time? Right? Yeah. Maybe a little bit more sound positionally, defensively. Okay, let's give a moo cow here. We do have to get to the listeners. So, do you have a quick what we learned? I do. I have. You know how we love a good NHL tire fire here at the Halford and Brush. We love it. Uh, I usually we try and find Canadian ones, but it's hard to look at any other tire fire that's burning as brightly and as disastrously as the one in San Jose. The San Jose Sharks uh, have a chance to be historically bad this season. If you're unaware of this, the San Jose Sharks are currently the only team in the NHL without a win. 31 have managed to get a win. This is the plan, though. I can't. You can't consider it a tire fire if the plan is to go into the season tanking. David Quinn benched <laughs> Mark Edward Vlasic, though, the other game. Now, if you were tanking, you'd say, no, play Vlasic more. Right. He's not good. <laughs> Put him on the ice. And David Quinn said, no, his play is so bad, we have to take him off the ice. They also We have, have some pride left. He's not even the best Vlasic in the league anymore. Who's the other one? There's one in Chicago now. There's a oh, Vlasic yeah, yeah. in Chicago. Another there's another Vlasic, yeah. Also, there's internal strife where the they don't like each other in San Jose because apparently Philip Forsberg, who we'll see tonight play against the Canucks, ran over goalie Mackenzie Blackwood the other night, and everyone just stood around and didn't do anything. <laughs> David Quinn was pissed off. Was like, wow, uh, Thomas, that was a big hit. Thomas Hurdle was pissed off. Really rocked him. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> they have been outscored, I believe, to the tune of 19-7. They have not won a game, and their schedule does not get any easier. Tonight, on Frozen Frenzy Night, they play 
in Florida. Then they go to Tampa Bay. Then they go to Carolina. So by the end of this week, we could be talking about a Sharks team that has not won in its first eight games of the year. I am here for it. That is a true tire fire. The Canucks see San Jose pretty soon. I think it's their 10th game of the season Thursday, in San no, Jose. Thursday, November 2nd, a 7.30 puck drop. Hopefully, they want that first overall, man. They're going for it. All man. right. They certainly are. Mook Give out. us a mook out on that. I just watched the clip of Blackwood getting run over. and It's pretty I, good. I think play. a Shark literally helps him up. Politely off the goaltender. It was, everyone was looking over. around. They're like, "Are we not going to do something about this? Anything?" They, they literally grab him by the, the other players. Yeah. Eh, who cares? Yeah, it's true. Brutal. Just like, brutal. stop, oh, stop and pucks, Blackwood. You're not adding to the tank at all. Okay, we have a winner for the tickets to see the Canucks and the Blues on Friday night. Before we do that, we need to print out the humanoid submissions. Fire up that dot matrix. Uh, what we learned, humanoid edition, is brought to you by. Get fire plan. I got to scroll down. Give me one second, okay? Get fire plan. Get fire plan. Get fire plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation at $200 off. Visit them at getfireplan.com. Oh, my God! We're having a fire plan! Congratulations to Sean in Surrey. You have won the tickets to see Friday's game thanks to this submission. Hashtag WWL. What we learned yesterday... I learned my nine-year-old son is a big fan of the dogs, A-Dog and Laddie. On our way to hockey practice, he asked me to put on the podcast, good boy, download the podcast, so we could listen to what we learned. He laughed at the Get Fire playing intro and then proceeded to sing It's What We Learn Time for the rest of the drive to it's hockey practice. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. This show is definitely leading it's the league in earworms yeah like every friday i get the dolly wall song in my head it is a nightmare Mm -hmm. thank you thank you (laughs) well keep them coming great great pride in my work so one they they are a family of culture it's good to see that congrats to sean in surrey he did add that he's going to be taking his nine-year-old to the game what i suggest you do is when you're driving to rogers arena on friday night Download the Halford and Bruff podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and play the What We Learn song on loop the entire way to Rogers Arena. All right, let's read some more. Pistol Pete, What We Learn. Dubai has started a new baseball league and has drafted some of the best players of the past 15-ish years. 15-ish. How long before this happens to hockey? I think it's inevitable. Uh, there is nothing I want to see less than retired hockey players playing hockey. Mm-hmm. Let's in the on. Middle East. I can go to a rink anywhere in the area <laughs> yeah. and see. How, that. What did he classify the players as? Um, Some of the best players in the last 15 of the past years? fifteen year, okay, fifteen ish years. So Robinson Cano, no. Bartolo Colon, fifty year old, Didi Gregorius, Pablo Sandoval. I mean, that's a. I once witnessed Pablo Sandoval exploding his belt on a swing. The food budget for that league is going to be off the charts. (laughs) (laughs) Is this catered? What was Sandoval's nickname again? Panda. 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 Yeah. Okay. Um, Giant Panda. (laughs) (laughs) Adam, the former bath guy, what we learned, I learned that Rob Manfred is going to be losing sleep if it's a Rangers slash Diamondbacks World Series. Mm, I don't know. I mean, does anyone think that the Texas Rangers are like Dallas? Like that's Dallas's team. Yep. It's a pretty pretty big market. Uh, I know they play in Arlington, but that's just a suburb of Dallas, isn't it? Like Dallas is the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Diamondbacks, I would probably agree with you. I think a Rangers-Philly series could be 
awesome, considering all the players involved, um, the Texas Rangers never having won a World Series, and the Phillies fans just being what the Phillies fans are right now. It's got to be Philly. Please all, don't be Arizona. Please don't be Arizona. I'm pretty sure uh, Texas opens at home no matter who the opponent is, if I'm not mistaken. But we need Philly in the World Series in that crowd and the way that they play ball. Uh, Gunner from Kelowna, what we learned, I learned I am now 100% totally confident that Vancouver will never get an NBA team again. Not that they would have any way with uh, Giannis's contract. Of a hundred and what is it, sixty eight? Three years, one hundred and sixty eight million. Vancouver, along with many other small market cities, has no corporate ability to support outrageous salaries like that one. Well, there's a salary cap in the NBA, right? I know you can break it a little easier, and than a lot you can of teams are breaking it right now. By the way, in the NHL, but don't forget that a lot of the NBA's revenue is based on their TV contract mm-hmm. and the global appeal, yeah, of the league. I mean, I don't think anyone truly understands mm-hmm. how gargantuan the NBA is in Asia. I don't think anyone understands that. That is a yeah, it's all, awesome. compared to the NHL, yeah, yeah, a little bit of a bigger footprint there, right? Mm-hmm. And um, again, there's a guy on Twitter, and his name is Jay Durant, but it's not the Jay Durant <laughs> you're thinking of. But he he's he got so upset about me saying that the NBA will never return to Vancouver that he just arbitrarily tweets at me constantly. Yeah, I've muted him. He thinks that he's still talking to me, but he's not. You check on him every once in a while? I do. There's a handful of people like that. (laughs) The reason the NBA uh, is going to be so hard-pressed to come to Vancouver isn't the market itself. It's not. Vancouver's a big city. Vancouver, a great basketball Vancouver has a lot of rich people in it. Have you seen all the Lamborghinis and... McLaren's running around this town. It's 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 ridiculous. We're one of like the we're we're one of the rich person capitals of the world. The problem is is that you need a very 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 rich owner, wealthy, not rich, to, wealthy, like like to first of all say I want a team in Vancouver as opposed to some other cities that that rich person might be interested, and also you need to probably build a new arena. Mm-hmm. Because no very, 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 very rich person is going to come to Vancouver and be like, I'll be the tenants of the Aquilinis, right? And it's not because it's the Aquilinis, just because nobody wants to be a tenant. You need to control your own building. You look at what the Clippers have done down in L.A., right? They're like, I don't want to share this arena with like a hockey team and the Lakers. We're going to go build our own arena because that's what... The revenue demands are now there are certain teams that still share arenas and they are tenants but like for the most part that's not how you want to start out absolutely uh minos in white rock what we learned hashtag wwl what minos learned is that if taylor swift dated a winnipeg jet there would be more rumps and seats yes the jets need to figure out their attendance problems is the solution a Dollar store version of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Is there a Winnipeg? Clearly. I think there's a Dollarama right outside the arena in Winnipeg as well. So that is some nice symmetry there. What's Avril Lavigne? Is there a Costco? <laughs> Dollarama. What is Avril? You got to try the Dollarama hot dogs. What is Avril Lavigne doing these days? And what is Mark Shifley doing these Avril days? Avril Lavigne is not dollar store Taylor Swift. She predates Taylor Swift. I didn't say dollar store Taylor Swift. You said, said they need a dollar store Taylor, Taylor Swift, Swift and Travis Kelsey. You need a lesser version of them. And I feel like Mark Shifley and Avril Levine fits the bill. How old is Avril now? I don't be close to 40. It's not. <laughs> yeah, she's not, she's not like that's gonna work. 39. What's wrong with that? Go. She's single now, is she not? I don't think she's with Chad. I, th- I don't think she's married, though. I think I mean, she yeah, has. Shoot her text. Yeah. Uh, Rob from Coquitlam, what we learned, it doesn't matter what Quinn Hughes does. He will never get the respect he deserves. 
Okay. I've been proud of us for not talking about this. And I think people this get is, so angry that guys, you're not. I think when this the Canucks, is the stupidest thing on the internet right now. That's saying something. Oh, when the Canucks become a respectable team, the players on the team will get more respect. And you might say that's unfair. It's not fair that Quinn Hughes is, you know, not getting the respect he deserves because the Canucks as a team aren't as good as some other teams. It's not fair to Petey. It's not fair to Demko, whoever. It's the reality. The Canucks still are not a team that a lot of people in other markets, doesn't matter which coast they're on, West Coast, middle of the country, East Coast, they just, they don't matter right now. So just, you know, here's a, here's a way you can think about it. He's our little secret. Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson, they're, they're like nobody else knows about them, but we know about them and we appreciate them. Mm-hmm. I I just, I can't believe that this... Guy- use it, use it, use it, use it to your advantage, right? Like we got these guys, they're secret weapons, right? Nobody knows about them. They can sneak up his, on other except people. Except for his two very popular brothers. But yeah, no, I get the point. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't... Yeah, people in Jersey are like, Jack Hughes has a brother? Yeah. He's got two of them? <laughs> oh, I knew about Luke. Um, Vance the Insulator. Laddie, this one's for you. Hashtag WWO. What we learned. Morning, boys. My what we learned is that yesterday was the day in history that Mr. Destiny Joe Carter brought the Jays to the promised land. Then the drought began. You didn't mention this yesterday, but you were very cognizant of Touch Em All Day. Yes, I was. It was all over the internet, so I couldn't not. You should have brought it up yesterday. Well, you guys- I feel like that was a big Blue Jays thing. How old were you? Were you even born? I was still two. Two. Yeah, I didn't turn I three remember, until later that year. I remember distinctly kind of enjoying the Mitch Williams ride during that postseason. Right. <laughs> He's such a forgotten character in all this, right? Even though he did give up the jack, but he should have thrown it down and into Joe. That that was his sweet spot. Yeah, and then he was never the so same person. There again. was there was someone on uh, in the inbox, and I apologize to that person that said. This will be the Phillies' first ever Game 7. What? Yeah. And then, in any yeah. round? Ever. Wow. Because I think a lot of people probably remember that 93 World Series, game and six? they misremember it, and they oh think, oh, that was, yeah. that was Game 7. That was Game 7. Yeah, this, this is, the is the first game First seven ever Game 7 for the Phillies. In 141 seasons of Major League Baseball. Yeah. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, don't blow it, Philly. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get out of here for now. We will be back tomorrow. Signing off, I have been Mike Alford. He's been Jason Brough. He's been A-Dog. He's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650.